right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like to have one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or if you have your digital device, you can open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app. And all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded on there. Everything except for pictures are on there. If you are watching us live on our online campus at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility or at our site in Howard Swamico, welcome. We love you. So glad that you're part of our family and so glad that you guys are part of our family. Gratefully, we avoided the blizzard. So glad that that didn't come. I wasn't ready with my, with my shovel uh, any more than I've ever been ready. And so super glad that you guys did brave this cold, though, and come and uh, get some of Jesus. And so one of my main responsibilities around here is, is direction. I'm, I'm kind of like a spiritual tour guide, kind of like a spiritual travel agent, if you will. And probably the biggest burden that I bear is making sure that we're going the right way, that we're talking about the right stuff. And there's a lot that goes into what we talk about around here on a Sunday, lots of different conversations, months of prayer and planning, hours and hours of preparation. In fact, I'd say the average message that comes from this stage on a Sunday, it takes me probably about 30 hours of prep time. And for a long time, that was a really long and really lonely process. But I've started periodically bringing other people into that process, which was really difficult for me because I'm a really guarded guy when it comes to that process. In fact, for the longest time, I wouldn't even let people see my notes before I got up here. But, but over time, I've gathered a few people who I trust and I've started to bounce ideas off of them. My friend, Pastor Allen, who of course has spoken here many times. He was just here a few weeks ago. My friend, Pastor Barry, who's been one of our speakers at the men's retreat, which shameless plug, if you're a guy and you haven't registered for the men's retreat, please do that. You're going to love it. But like Pastor Allen, Pastor Barry, these are guys who have been in my life for more than two decades. They know my heart. They know my mind. They know how I feel. They know how I think. Of course, I bounce stuff off Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Dallas, Pastor Lori. Sometimes I'll just walk into their offices or I'll call them into mine and, and I'll just say like, hey, I've been thinking about, you know, this. And then I'll just sit back and I'll see how they react. And I think if they react positively, then I know that I'm headed down a good direction. And then if they, if they, if they hesitate, not, they never say no, but sometimes I'll present an idea and they'll go, and that's when I know that that's like a no from someone who works for you. And, and of course, I've always bounced my stuff off of uh, Pastor Sonny, but for the past several months, I've really brought her into my process. Nobody gets my mind or has my heart like Sonny does. And so I'll just sit in a room with Sonny and I'll talk to her about what God and I have been talking about. And then she'll start to help me shape it. She'll help, like, help me structure it because her mind works that way, structurally and strategically. And during one of those conversations, Sonny and I were talking about some things that we felt like God wanted us to talk about. And one particular topic just kept coming up. But it wasn't just during this particular meeting. For months, we'd been talking about a recurring theme. For months, we'd been chewing on this idea of attacks. 
We've been talking a lot about how it seemed like so many of our friends here at Life Church were going through these really intense struggles. So, so many of our friends here were just flat out under attack. We would get these emails or these texts, these letters or these messages about how difficult things suddenly were in people's marriages or with their money, how their kids were struggling or how they were suddenly being targeted at work or at school. There, there was a consistent theme. For so many of you, there was this wrestling that was happening, which shouldn't come as a surprise because the, the book of Ephesians talks about uh, how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And for so many times, y'all, I had read that scripture. I'd read that scripture dozens and dozens of times, but I had read it like this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You, you, like you feel that flow. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers. Yeah. But then when I was studying that in the original context, I discovered that in the original flow of the Greek, which the New Testament was originally, it was the Greek language writing Jewish ideas. And so, so I noticed there was a flow in the original Greek that had been changed when it had been translated. And none of the words had been changed, but the flow had been changed. And, and there was a punctuation that, that had been misplaced. And in the original flow, that scripture read like this, for we wrestle, comma, literary pause. For we wrestle, not against flesh and blood. Doesn't change the content. It changes the feeling of that sentence. And what that does when you change the flow of it is that it brings to your attention that there is a promise. You are going to wrestle. For we wrestle. Pause. But not against flesh and blood. We're going to wrestle against principalities and against powers that we don't want to talk about. And it felt like the more we seemed blessed publicly as a church, the more we felt attacked privately as a people. And the more we listened to your comments, it was, it was more than just people having marital strife or money stress. It was people experiencing stuff they couldn't explain. Creepy stuff. Spiritual stuff. Things they were sensing or feeling, seeing. Or hearing Now, like, I, I've never actually been a guy to talk much about stuff like this because I find, like, whatever it is you focus on gets bigger. Like, I've, I've, I've felt like the more uh, we talk about this kind of stuff, the more intense it seems to get. Like, like when people sit around a campfire telling ghost stories. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever done that. It, it starts out kind of cutesy. But somewhere along the line, it starts opening stuff up in us that we didn't even know was there, things that we, we weren't even aware of. It, it was almost like ignorance is bliss. But the more questions we were getting, the more stories we were hearing, the more it became clear we couldn't truthfully say we love you and keep ignoring this topic. The questions were real. The concerns were real. The struggles were real. The wrestling is real. People are under attack. Quite frankly, as Pastor Sonny said, we are at war against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we determined as a team that it is just time that we talk about it. You're ready for it besides their strength in numbers. Where I, where I 
came from when I was growing up. If you messed with one of us, you, you got to mess with all of us. You may be tougher than me, but you're not tougher than us. You know what I'm saying? Like there's 12 of us, and we'll jump you quick, fast, in a hurry. And so spiritually, if you, like if somebody messes with you, then guess what? They mess with me. And so you need to know that I love you. Pastor Sonny loves you. The team here, we all love you, and we've all got your back. And because this is war, today I want to start a conversation about spiritual warfare. And I want to start that conversation by talking about the blame game. Let's pray. God, we love you. We value you. We're grateful to you. God, thank you that in this place you already sent a promise. You said you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us. You said that you're a friend who sticks closer than any brother. You said come and cast all your cares upon us because you care for us. God, God, you said lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge you and you'll make our path straight. You said that you are our glory and the lifter of our head. You said that you are the fence that has been built. Like your word is filled with promises that are already there to help us through this struggle. And so today I pray that you would resonate that in us, that you would percolate that in us, that it would, that it would pour out of who we are as we become less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I have one of those great blessings that I, I'm a traveler. I love to travel, and God has made it to where I've been so fortunate to be able to use the, the gifting that God has given me to be able to go to uh, like lots of different amazing places and some places that I've been asked to come that I haven't been allowed to go. Not by God, not by me, but by Sonny. There are some places where I get invited that Sonny just says, nah, uh-uh, playboy, you're not going there. Like a couple years ago, I got invited to Syria. I was like, this is going to be so dope, and we're going to like go, and we're going to talk to these pastors who like they're really sacrificing their life. And just in the description of it, I totally eliminated the possibility. Like if they're taking their life in their own hands, just that's the calling that God's put on their life. You just stay here in Green Bay and you just be safe. And I was like so excited about it. I'm going to go to Syria and be on rooftops and preaching the gospel and martyring my life. And so he's like, you got kids to raise. I got invited to Lebanon. I was so excited about it. Of course, like many of you, I've been invited to Pakistan by my friend who has been held hostage and needs money from my bank account. And if you, if you, I don't know if you've gotten that email, but I got about 14 friends who are hostages right now in Pakistan. And I, I I'd never even been to Lahore, but what I know is that apparently they're holding all my friends hostage. And so there's lots of places that I've wanted to go that I haven't gotten to go, but I have got to go to some places that, like, they're hot, y'all. Like, like they are under conflict. They are borderline war zones. And what I've discovered in those experiences is that people who live in war zones live differently. They know war is imminent, so they're prepared. They have supplies set aside. They have food and water stored up. They have flashlights and batteries, blankets and ammunition. They've built bunkers and have gas masks. Their kids know code words and escape plans. They don't live in fear per se, but they're ready. Like it might not happen today, but they know it's going to happen. So one of the things they do is they get to know their enemy. They get to know how he thinks and how he moves. They recognize the warning signs. They know what to look for. It's a different culture, and it's a different climate. Two years ago, my daughter Aubrey and I were in Israel, and, and we went to Galilee where Jesus did the bulk 
of his ministry. We got, we got to stay in this really cool property. We found it on Hotels.com. It was beautiful. It was on a hillside, and it kind of overlooked the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and it was owned by this really beautiful, traditional Jewish family. And it was right in the shadow of the Palestinian territory. I mean, the drive there, thank God my daughter was asleep because there were military patrols and there were gun trucks and there were, there were tanks and I thought this is dope. But the only thing that separated us was a 1999 chain link fence from Menards. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just a kind of a dicey situation. And uh, we spent a few days there and as we were getting ready to leave to head back to Jerusalem to catch our flight in Tel Aviv, I asked the daughter of the owners if it was scary living so close to the enemy. She looked at me and she said, no, uh, not really. It's actually been quiet for many years. It's actually uh, at times been eerily quiet. She said, we've just learned to watch for the warning signs. On the drive back on the road between Galilee and Jerusalem, I saw a sign that said that the next turn was to a town called Jericho. Now, to a Bible nerd like me, there's no way I wasn't going to go to Jericho because so many significant things in Scripture happened in Jericho. So I took the turn, and about a kilometer up the road, I saw this sign. Now, that's small. It's going to be hard for you to read it, so let me translate what that says to you. That sign says, the entrance for Israeli citizens is forbidden. Dangerous to your lives. Some things are just better just said bluntly, right? And it is against the Israeli law. I saw that sign. I said, nope. <laughs> you turn. I'll see Jericho on Google Maps. <laughs> and, and the words of that daughter of that hotel rang in my ears where she said, we've just learned to look for the warning signs. That sign seems obvious, right? But I bet you there are a lot of tourists who ignore those signs. They think, oh, that doesn't relate to me. I mean, if I didn't have my 12-year-old daughter with me, I probably would have rolled the dice myself. I mean, it's Jericho. Plus, I'm not even an Israeli citizen. I wonder how many tourists ignored that sign, then got caught in a really tense situation with the Palestinian Authority. And then I wonder how many of them got upset because God didn't protect them. And I think God was like, was the giant sign not protection enough? Was, wasn't that obvious enough? But y'all, it's not just these big giant red signs. It, there are signs in our own lives that are just as obvious that we ignore every single day. When you start to like the smell of your coworkers' perfume more than the smell of your wife's perfume, that's a warning sign. When you start to justify when you stretch it on your expense report at work, that is a warning sign. When you get butterflies, when you longingly look at the Facebook or Instagram of that guy who isn't your husband, that is a warning sign. When you cringe while you watch that show, that is a warning sign. But then when your spouse or your boss or your friend check you on it, bust you on it, for some reason you think you should blame God for not protecting you. And I think God's like that, not in your stomach, your elevated heart rate, the sweat on your brow, that tinge of guilt. Weren't those giant signs protection enough? Weren't they obvious enough? How didn't we know our enemy? How didn't we know our boundaries and our barriers? Why weren't we looking for the warning signs? And for some of you, like that family who owned that hotel, there's been this eerie silence. And some of us have mistaken that silence for peace, but that silence isn't the sound of peace. It's actually the sound of preparation. It's not peace, it's a ceasefire. 
And during that ceasefire, the enemy is regrouping and reloading. He's determining and developing his strategy for how, when, and where he's going to hit you. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I, I, I'm not a huge TV guy. Maybe, it's, maybe I'm just, you know, getting old. There's certain programs that I like, like there's a... There's a show right now that I'm digging. It's on a network called MT. It's just about cars. They're rebuilding a supercar right now, which is so dope. I'm like, where do you even find parts for a supercar? They're like having to make parts. And I'm like, yeah, this is real Americana. I feel like a real man. My beard grows every time <laughs> I watch the show. So I love that. Uh, unashamedly love HGTV. Love any show. Speaking of beard growing, I love any show where they like flip a house or rebuild the house. Sunny doesn't really actually like those shows, so sometimes she'll come in and she'll catch me watching flip or flop and she'll I'll like feel like, oh, did I do something? No, I love your design too. I just really love, you know, this stuff. And uh, there's, uh, I binge watched a show this weekend. I was so excited about it. It was uh, my daughter Aubrey's birthday, so her and Sonny were hanging out. And so uh, uh, by myself, uh, I found a program to binge. I was so excited about it. I can't wait for the last episode. It was uh, Jeopardy, the greatest of all time. And <laughs> I was like, yeah. What kind of, how have I become such a nerd? That's all I want to know. And so there's a few shows that I like, including anything on the National Geographic channel. I love the National Geographic channel. And, uh, not long ago, I was, I was watching this show uh, about how lions hunt, and it was so interesting. You, you had this pride of lions, and they were hunting a cape buffalo, which seems totally normal. Uh, but actually, lions don't typically hunt Cape Buffalo, first of all, because they're massive, second of all, because they're really aggressive, and third, because they travel in packs. And so I want you, this is actually me on a Monday morning. <laughs> no, this is like, a, nothing about that says, mmm, delicious. Like, would you ever look at that and say, man, I can't wait for some A1 and a campfire to cook that. And I think even lions look at them and they go, seriously, like starve or eat that sucker? And so, uh, in fact, here's an interesting fact. More Cape buffalo kill lions than lions kill Cape buffalo in a year in Africa. You might not have known that, but later you may need to know that at work later at the water cooler. But this, wa this particular water buffalo, like not this one, I didn't selfie with him, but a particular water buffalo on the program had wandered off on its own, went against its natural inclination, ignored its internal warning signs, and went alone into this little pond to drink. And it was crazy. The minute that it wandered into that little pond, the ears on these lions started to twitch, and the pride immediately sprung into action. And the tactics that they used were fascinating. You had this alpha lioness female, and she had two groups that were with her. She had attack lionesses, and then she had this little group of juvenile males, male lions that were less than two years old. We know that because they were like big like a lioness, but they didn't have a mane yet. So the, the, the alpha female sent this little group of juvenile males in for the first attack. And she sent them in for one purpose, because they looked like a lioness, 
but they're not natural hunters. Sometimes there's an attack that will come to you and it will look like something that can destroy you, but it has no intention or ability to destroy you first and foremost. Those lions, the males, were sent in as a distraction. And so they went in and they surrounded the water buffalo and they never actually tried to make physical contact with it. They would take turns like a game of Duck, Duck, Goose. And they would come in, one would jump in, and it would like roar as loud as it could, and then it would jump out. And then one on the other side would jump in and roar as loud as it could, and then it would jump out. And they were simultaneously trying to intimidate the buffalo while trying to get it to expend its energy by spinning to defend itself. And for hours this went on, and all the while the alpha female and a little pack of attack lionesses literally were laid back in the cut looking cute. Talk about. <laughs> Talk about, I'm going to tear that buffalo up. You know? and, and, and as the sun went down, the water that the buffalo was in began to grow colder and colder, and its muscles began to seize. And when its muscles were sufficiently seized and fatigued from the combination of the water and the spinning to defend itself against the roaring males, the well-rested females slowly started to make their move. And they surrounded the buffalo the same way that the males did. And they had the same kind of attack tactics. They, they began to jump in and jump out. But instead of roaring, one would jump in and it would scratch it. And then it would jump out. Another one would jump in and it would, just, it would just bite it in one area. And then it would jump out. And for out, just in, out, in, out. By the time that the alpha female actually launched her attack... The buffalo had given up. It had rendered itself defenseless. And by the time she attacked, it was like the buffalo, it, would, it was like inviting her. And she literally walked over, jumped on its back, bit the back of its neck, and that thing just died. You know, none of it would have happened had that thing not found itself in a place it shouldn't have been in the first place. Y'all, there is a very real enemy, and he is trying to back you into situations you should never be in. But we seem to have this intrinsic inability to take responsibility for our actions. So we play the blame game. We blame our upbringing. We blame other people. We, we blame our parents or our siblings, a kid on the playground, a teacher, our spouse. We blame God a lot. And we say things like, why would God this? Or, or why wouldn't God that? But you know, we give God a lot of credit that actually belongs to the devil. And sometimes the stuff that's happening in our lives isn't God's fault at all. It's the devil's fault. You're under attack. And if I could just be blunt, sometimes it's not the devil's fault either. Sometimes it's your own fault. So much of life is just cause and effect. I have this friend, Bradley. He's a great business guy here in town. A couple years ago, he said this profound thing. There's sometimes that somebody says something to you that it just, it just lingers. And this has stuck with me. We're just having a conversation, and he said, you know, there's always a reason someone goes bankrupt. And he said that, and I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. They spent too much. They didn't save enough. They didn't invest. They didn't plan. They didn't prepare. They ignored the warning signs. And it's not just in our money. It's in our marriages and our relationships with our kids. It's in our friendships. It's in our health. It's in our peace in so many areas we place so much blame on God. But I've been thinking the last number of months, why don't we ever blame God for the things that don't happen to us? And I think it's because we get frustrated by certain things. And when we get frustrated by those things, we seldom get to see the why. 
When Aubrey and I were in Israel on that same trip, we got to see A-Y in the flesh. We left that, you know, that uh, place in Galilee and we're driving toward Jerusalem. We're on a mission, y'all. We had to get to a mall. I needed to see where Jesus shopped. You know what I'm saying? So I knew Jesus would shop at H&M. So I, I had to get my, at the time, 12-year-old daughter to the mall. So we were, we were cooking, man. We were making great time. And we pulled up on these people. They were going so slow. You know, even in Israel, you, you want to get mad at people when they're driving slow. It's not like a divine slowness. It's just a slowness keeping you from the mall. And so I was talking about gripping the steering wheel. I was talking about seriously. That's my word. Seriously? I was like getting so frustrated. And I, I would try to pass. People couldn't pass because, you know, everything was twists and turns and hills and all this stuff. And, and after about an hour, we came up to this T in the road. And when we got to the T, we discovered what had been slowing people down. Not long before we got there, there was a double fatality accident that had happened. And I felt like the Lord said, that's why you were going slow. You were going slow so you wouldn't have been one of those people laid on that concrete covered up right now. That's the why. So when things happen, sometimes God's responsible, sometimes the devil's responsible, but sometimes we are responsible. So since we are in a spiritual war, I think it's only reasonable that we ask ourselves an important question. Who is responsible for what? And so today I want to leave you with five questions to ask yourself to see who's responsible. Here's the first. What are you putting in your eyes? Shakespeare said the eye is the window of the soul. What are you letting come through your TV, your computer, or your phone? What shows or movies or apps have captured your attention? Whose YouTube channel do you watch? Who's on your feed? Who do you follow on Instagram? Y'all, I had to put filters on that trash because I am shocked by the amount of soft porn that Instagram will allow if you allow it. And one of the things that your eyes will allow in is fear, which I, I don't understand. Maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe I'm just getting weak. Maybe I've gotten soft in my 40s. But I hate to be scared. I don't want to be scared, not never. I, I feel like somebody, though, needs to hear this, that fear is not a feeling. It's a spirit, and it is not of God. Scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear. In fact, when Sonny and I were first in ministry, we watched this movie because, you know, we wanted to be relevant youth pastors. It was called The Blair Witch Project. And in the middle of the night, we woke up and Sonny was physically under attack, held down by a spirit, like not to freak you out, but she couldn't move. She couldn't yell. She, it was like I had to start praying over her in the spirit. I had to go get all the oils in the house. I had to get the Crisco, and I had to get, you know, just start throwing oil on top of her, talking about suntan oil. I said, Jesus' name. I don't know which one of these is anointed, but whatever is the anointment oil, in Jesus' name, you better get up off my lady. And if you feel like you're under attack, ask yourself, what am I putting in my eyes? Here's the second question is, what are you putting in your ears? What kind of conversations are you entertaining? Do you have friends who are constantly negative? Do you have friends who always talk smack about people? You know, one of the things we try to tell our kids is if somebody talks bad about someone else to you, they're going to talk bad to someone else about you. And, and the Bible likens gossip to witchcraft. And, and one of the things that the ear allows in because of that kind of talk is depression. And, and like fear, depression is not an emotion, it's a spirit and it's opposite of God in its nature. The prophet Nehemiah said, do not be dejected or sad because the joy of the Lord, it is 
your strength. And some of you need to reconsider the things that you're allowing in your ears. You need to reconsider the conversations. You need to reconsider the podcasts. You need to reconsider some of the music that you're letting in your ears because music is deeply spiritual. Those lyrics, they're going into your spirit. And you can say, I just listen to the beat all you want. But subconsciously, those lyrics are going into your spirit. And the same spirit that goes into the music when it's made comes out of the music when it's played. Like, did you know that Led Zeppelin, you know the official end of the prom artist of the Stairway to Heaven, every prom in our generation played Stairway to Heaven. That group, Led Zeppelin, used to do seances before they would record their music so that they could conjure up demonic spirits. And those spirits are being transferred into your spirit, affecting your moods and your mannerisms. There's a reason why athletes don't listen to Michael Buble before games. But those spirits are attacking your spirit. If you feel like you're under attack, ask yourself, what am I putting in my ears? Here's the third question. So what am I putting in my mouth? Mm. I feel like I don't even need to camp out here. I could just jump right to the next one because some of you already feel convicted. Because Listen, too much of anything is harmful and dangerous. In the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, do not be among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. And one of the things that the mouth allows in is sickness. See, when I was first... In ministry, I used to have a responsibility that one day a week I had to spend the whole day going and visiting people in the hospitals. And one day I went to visit this lady in Baptist East Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and I went up and she was dying from emphysema. And I went up so that I could pray for her. And she had had a trach, you know, and she had the, uh, a hole in her neck and, and she had to talk through the, the talk box. And she asked me through the talk box if I would pray for her because she felt like she was under attack. And so I was getting ready to pray for her, and she said, hold on one minute, Pastor, and she pulled out. I can't lie about this stuff, y'all. God would strike me dead. Before I prayed for her, she pulled out a cigarette. She put it in her mouth, pulled her lighter off the little stand, plugged that hole in her neck, lit her cigarette, <laughs> took the thing off, smoke began to billow out of her neck. She took that cigarette out of her mouth, put it in the hole in her neck, and said, <clears throat> pray for me, Pastor, because I feel like the devil is attacking me. And in my mind, I was like, that, you know, you might be right. But I also think you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes out of a hole in your neck is all I'm saying. I feel like you need to be asking yourself, what am I putting in my mouth? You need to be asking yourself, what am I putting in my neck? And so number four, ask yourself, what are you allowing? <laughs> Some of you are like, that was too much. That was just uh, too far. <laughs> she didn't even die. So whatever, this second, I'm not joking about a dead person. <laughs> Hey, next service, let's say it's X out the neck, the line. That's, that's broadcast, second service. Here's number four. What are you allowing into your home? Your home. Our kids have some friends that we just don't want hanging at our house. And we'll bring anybody here. But there are some kids that are used by the enemy against our kids. And they bring negativity. They bring immorality. They bring in comparison. They ask questions like, why do your parents this? Or why don't your parents that? Or my parents do this. And as Pastor Sonny famously says, comparison is the great crippler. And so I'm not trying to allow anything I didn't invite into my home into my home. And so in the book of Joshua, he said, you can choose whoever you're going to serve. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. So if you feel like you're under attack, ask yourself, what am I allowing into my home? Here's the last question. What are you allowing into your circle? Who are you surrounded by? 
Who are you influenced by? Whose voice is the voice of truth in your life? Some of you have heard me say this line, you know, ad nauseum, but one of our mentors early on in ministry gave us a line, I'll never forget it. She said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Scripture says the same thing. It just says it like this. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Who are you surrounded by? Who are you influenced by? If everybody who is in your circle is negative, you're going to be negative. If everyone in your circle is depressed, you're going to be depressed. If everyone in your circle is a victim, guess what? You're going to blame the system. You're going to start talking about, well, if we would this and if he would this. Who are you influenced by? If you feel like you're under attack, you need to start asking yourself, what am I allowing into my circle? We need to start asking ourselves, who's responsible for what? Do you know your enemy? Do you know your barriers and your boundaries? Are you looking for the warning signs? If you're not, you better start because this is war. Would you close your eyes all across this place? This is war. There is an enemy who hates every molecule in your body. He hates your friends. He hates your family. He hates your future. He hates every single thing about you, which is why you have felt this deep sense of failure in your life. Some of you came here. You didn't even know that God was bringing you here for hope. The Bible says there is hope and His name is Jesus. And so today, the cure to what ails you is a relationship with Jesus. In the church world, we would call that salvation, where you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Having someone be your Lord means that they're in control. Having someone be your Savior means that they have rescued you. If you're tired of being in control and you need someone to be your Savior, today I have good news. We have an opportunity for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. And so if you're here today, you say, Sean, that's me. I want to do that. With nobody looking around, we're going to ask for people to do two things. In just a moment, we're going to ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. That's going to be your indication that you are admitting that you are a sinner. And then secondly, I'm going to ask everyone in this place to repeat a prayer after me. When you repeat that prayer, Scripture says, if you believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. You begin a new journey away from who you are toward who Jesus wants you to be. And so if you're here today and you say, Sean, I need to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make God contact me right now? Thank you. 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 Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you would take that card that we talked about earlier, it says hello across the top. If you would just fill it out. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and either put it in the black buckets when they come around here in just a minute, or you can take them out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we want the opportunity to pray for you and follow up with you, and we do have a little packet that we would love for you to have. In that, it's a three-month devotional. There's a CD called What Now, which will guide you through what the next steps are for you, but either way, we just want the chance to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. We're not done. Pastor Sonny's going to close us out 
here in just a second. I wonder if you're hearing you say, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, uh, but I feel like I'm under attack. Whether that's your marriage, whether that's your kids, whatever that may be, your finances. You say, Sean, I'm under attack. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So if you feel like you're under attack with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand up just so I can pray for you? God, for so many people in this place, I pray blessings. I pray protection over them. Give them strength. Be a fence around them in Jesus' name. Amen.